One of the most important parts of an effective compliance program is to have a compliant culture. Captain Integrity Production and the law firm of Nelson Mullins presents Stark Integrity, the Stark Law and Compliance Podcast. Stark Integrity explores the world of the Stark Law and healthcare compliance with our nationally recognized Stark Law, Fraud, and Compliance Attorney, Bob Wade. Bob has a national healthcare legal and compliance practice that focuses on the minions of the Anti-Kickback Statute, False Claims Act, and the Stark Law, including fair market value and commercial reasonableness. Although Bob is a law partner in the national law firm of Nelson Mullins, the views expressed in Stark Integrity are Bob's personal views and not the views of the firm, and they are not intended to be legal advice. Now, without further ado, I give you Captain Integrity, Bob Wade. Welcome to Stark Integrity, the Stark Law and Compliance Podcast. My name is Bob Wade, and I am your host. Well, today I'm going to talk about what I believe to be the most important part of having an effective compliance program, and that's the culture of the organization. Uh, There's been many cases in the past, as well as recently, where the ethics of the organization were inconsistent with the culture of the organization or the stated ethics of the organization were different than the culture of the organization. And the granddaddy of them all is Enron. Uh, So Enron was back in February of 2002 uh, that there was the board of directors of Enron. They issued findings from its own internal investigation that indicated that there were ethical problems within the organization. But Enron had a code of ethics. In fact, it was 60 pages long, and at the preface to the Code of Ethics, Enron's chairman and CEO, Kenneth Lay, the foreword states that Enron, quote, enjoys a reputation for fairness and honesty. But no matter what, Enron's reputation depends on its people, on you and me. So that was stated in their Code of Ethics. And in the Enron case, the FBI Uh, They had more than 1,800 interviews. They collected more than 3,000 boxes of evidence. They seized more than $164 million of assets and analyzed four terabytes of digitized data. And more than $105 million was forfeited to help compensate victims. And 22 people were convicted for their actions related to the fraud that Enron performed including Enron's CEO, President and Chief Operating Officer, Chief Financial Officer, Treasurer, and the heads of Enron's business unit. So even though they had a very detailed code of ethics, obviously a lot of things were run amok uh, at, at Enron. So simply having a code of ethics does not guarantee that the the organization is an ethical organization. And more recently, FTX Crypto, this actually happened in November, uh, basically because of the ethics involved in that organization, um, there were massive, uh, far-reaching scandal uh, that occurred. And obviously, the uh, the chief executive officer of FTX 
Uh, he was accused of improperly using customer funds to prop up a research entity called Ameda. And it's a trading firm that the chief executive officer also funded. And so that's a, another recent case where ethics of the organization uh, did not match its stated ethics. And, you know, when I was, when I was in-house, I, our, our program is called the Integrity Program. And this probably goes a little bit granular, but if, if, if you're compliant, that means you're compliant with the law. But if you want to hold yourself to a higher standard, you know, that is more on the ethics or the integrity side. And I think I've talked previously on Stark Integrity about that dynamic push and pull between compliance and ethics. And hopefully your organization is holding itself up to a higher standard than merely just complying with the law. Now, complying with the law is good because that sets the minimum threshold. But if you have an ethics program or an integrity program, then you need to set yourself to a higher standard than just mere compliance. So where is the culture of the organization impacted uh, through healthcare entities? Well, first off, I've mentioned on Stark Integrity before that I perform compliance effectiveness reviews. And a lot of times those engagements would start with you know, the chief compliance officer or the chief executive officer or the general counsel reaching out and wanting me to perform a compliance effectiveness review. And they want to show me their code of conduct, uh, policies and procedures. Uh, they want to show me how they approve of physician financial arrangements and the like. And that's all good. Uh, so those are definitely documents and things that need to be reviewed and tested as part of an effectiveness review for a, a health system. But a material component of an effectiveness review that I perform is actually interviewing randomly selected employees. Uh, because I will ask the randomly selected employees, do they know who their compliance officer is? Uh, do they know how to gain contact information for the compliance officer? Do they know their hotline number? Have they used the hotline number? Do they fear retaliation? Have they ever previously reported a compliance concern and how did that go? Do they believe that the board is operating the organization in an ethical and compliant manner? And if, if not, why not? Uh, do they believe executive leadership would prefer compliance and ethics over chasing down the dollar. Uh, believe me, money and margin is important in order to keep up the mission of a healthcare organization. But in order to operate a, an effective compliance program within a healthcare organization, that ethics has to come first. And then everything wraps around the ethics of the organization. I'll give it, I think I think I've given this story before. Um, so I was the integrity officer, and I was in a meeting, and we were under a corporate integrity agreement, and I was advocating for our medical staff that they had to receive compliance education because that was one of the items under the corporate integrity agreement. And a high-ranking officer was in that meeting, and obviously the physicians were pushing back because they said, okay. You know, let me get this straight. You as the organization uh, had to sign a corporate integrity agreement, and then you as an organization are coming to us as the medical staff and asking us to participate in compliance education. 
And so the, the question came up, well, how much education is required? And this high-ranking officer in the organization stood up and looked at me, and this is a direct quote. He said, Bob, you need to tell these physicians what is, and here's the quote, what is the bare ass minimum, end quote, that the physicians need to, to perform uh, in order to meet the mandates of the corporate integrity program. Well, obviously, you know, just through that statement, there was some discrediting of the compliance program just by learning. And actually, I, I, I looked back at the high ranking executive and I said, it's not talking about the minimum. It's talking about what is effective. So for some individuals, it may be you know, one hour. Other individuals, it could be five hours. Um, obviously, we weren't going to mandate five hours of education for our physicians, especially the independent physicians. But that's that's the issue that I think that we all have to, to struggle with is what is being exemplified from the C-suite or the, the executive leadership of the organization. Getting a little bit more granular, does the chief executive officer invite the compliance officer into board meetings? in order to share what is going on within the organization from an ethical, integrity, compliance perspective. Uh, is the compliance officer invited to senior leadership meetings uh, to talk about what is happening in the compliance program or how the organization can further implement an effective compliance program? So it's the inclusion of the compliance officer in various important meetings. It's talking about compliance. And especially if you have any type of training, it's always good to have the chief executive officer or the chief operating officer introduce the education and indicate that our organization is about compliance, about integrity, about ethics. And we are encouraging all of our employees and independent contractors to participate in this education because it is vital for our organization in order to be an ethical organization. So it's, you know, I guess the old saying is um, uh, you have to walk the walk and talk the talk. So if you walk the walk and talk the talk, then if you are an ethical organization, all of your decisions should be passed through that ethical filter. Is this the right thing to do for our patients? Is this the right thing to do for our service area? Is this the right thing for us to do with respect to our employees and our medical staff? And just thinking about those things from an ethical perspective. And then also when I do compliance effectiveness review, I will actually identify individuals who have brought issues forward to the attention of the organization and interview those individuals. You know, how was the report? Uh, how was it taken? Uh, did you hear back from the compliance officer? If, if they were known. I'm obviously, it could be anonymous, but obviously I would only interview people if it was known uh, who they were. But um, did the organization get back to you at the conclusion of the investigation to describe what they did uh, with respect to the investigation? What did they find? What corrective actions uh, did they occur? And also, did they fear retaliation? Thinking retaliation could possibly occur and fearing retaliation does not necessarily mean that the organization is about retaliation. And, and I say that because I 
was a champion, obviously, when I was in-house and obviously with dealing with my clients is that, you know, there is a non-retaliation policy. So if there's a non-retaliation policy, hopefully we're encouraging people to bring issues forward to the attention of the organization. However, if I'm sitting in a meeting and I hear an executive leader basically discredit the compliance program, then I'm going to be less willing to bring an issue forward because I just don't want to be that person uh, within the organization. And, and hopefully, if you have an open, compliant, ethical organization, organization that operates with integrity, then we should be encouraging the issues to come forward and thanking people who bring the issues forward to our attention. Because that's the whole idea of having an effective compliance program. And that's what culture is all about, is do I have a culture of championing the ethical decision-making process within my organization? Am I making decisions that I know to be compliant? And if I'm not sure whether or not they're compliant, am I reaching out to resources uh, like attorneys like me to determine whether or not the decisions I'm making are compliant with the Stark Law, the Anti-Kickback Statute, the False Claims Act? So those are the issues. If, you've, if you have an organization that is trying to operate compliantly and with ethics and integrity, then if you're not certain uh, about a decision that you're making, at least you're going to involve the correct resources in order to assist you in that decision-making process. And, and this is a big and, if issues are identified, that you are correcting those issues regardless of the cost. Now, when I say regardless of the cost, I mean, if we know that we are in violation, then you just can't bury it. You have to report the issue or make the repayment. And that is operating in an ethical manner. And you can't just sit back and just say, well, I doubt if the Department of Justice or CMS or the OIG is going to find this issue. So therefore, we're just going to sit on it. And obviously, if they do find it, then we will come forward. Uh, that's not operating with ethics and integrity. Uh, so when you identify issues, then you need to take corrective action. And so that's part of creating that culture of compliance. And then when people do bring issues forward, that you are taking those issues seriously. And I was involved in one conversation where the issue was brought forward anonymously. And one of the executives said, well, if the person is not willing to provide their name, then we should not even research it which is obviously totally inconsistent with an effective compliance program. You do not need to attach your name to an issue that you're bringing to the attention of the organization, especially if you're using a hotline. That's the intention of the hotline, that you can remain anonymous uh, through that report. And another example, I was involved at a board meeting, and uh, I was doing a, a compliance effectiveness review. And the board chair basically said, we must have a very, very effective compliance program because for the past three years, we have rece received zero hotline reports. And I kind of smirked and, and, and looked at them and said, well, uh, that, that could be true. I'm not going to say that it's not true, but most likely people fear retaliation. 
and they, if they fear retaliation, then you have a culture that is not encouraging issues uh, to come forward. That could be one explanation for not having any hotline calls. And it, this also depends on the size of the organization. So here I'm talking about a fairly you know, significant size of the organization. But secondly, it could be because you're not promoting the hotline. I had a client where I actually asked the compliance officer, I said, can you find on your intranet where the hotline telephone number is? And 20 minutes later, this individual was not able uh, to locate uh, the identification of the hotline number on the organization's intranet. So to have a culture of compliance, a culture of bringing issues forward, you want to see that people are reporting issues, they're asking the questions, and the organization is taking those issues and those questions seriously and reviewing and researching those issues. So then you want to see closure of those issues. You don't want to see that you've got a culture of you know taking in all these issues but not investigating them and closing them. Uh, so that's all part of having an ethical culture. So as they say in real estate, it's location, location, location. From a compliance perspective, I believe it starts with culture, culture, culture. So now it's time for the three Captain Integrity Punch Points. Captain Integrity Punch Point number one, an ethical culture starts at the top. The board and the C-suite have to set the culture of the organization, and that culture should be one that encourages compliance, ethics, and integrity. Captain Integrity Punch Point number two, you understand the culture of the organization by asking individuals within the organization who are not high-ranking individuals about whether or not they believe the leadership of the organization operates with ethics and integrity. So that's one, you can bring in an outside person to ask those questions, but there you really can understand what is the ethical culture of the organization. And hopefully it's not like Enron, in word only and not in actions. And Captain Integrity Punch Point number three, if you believe your organization is making decisions that are not ethical or not compliant, then you need to bring those up the chain of the organization to senior leadership, like the chief executive officer, but ultimately to the board of trustees or the board of directors, because ultimately the board is responsible for the performance of an ethical operation of the organization. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Stark Integrity, the Stark Law and Compliance podcast. If you have any questions regarding this episode, the Stark Law, or healthcare compliance, you can contact me at bobwadecaptainintegrity at gmail.com or my law firm email address at bob.wade at nelsonmullins.com. You can review this and any other episode of Stark Integrity at the Captain Integrity website at captainintegrity.com. You can also follow me on LinkedIn under Bob Wade. I hope the three Captain Integrity punch points will help you with the Stark Law and compliance. In closing, remember that integrity depends on you and me.